Behavioral health integration enables physicians to sustain a collaborative, whole person, and equitable approach to care. On this episode of Moving Medicine, Health Management Associates Principal, Dr. Lori Ranney, and Dr. Jennifer Thomas, Medical Director of Integrated Care at Morris Hospital, share how they successfully integrated behavioral health care into their practice workflow to create a seamless experience for patients and the care team. I'm your host, Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer. This episode of Moving Medicine is part of the Behavioral Health Integration Collaborative's Overcoming Obstacles series. Here's Dr. Ranney. When we think about workflows for integrated care, there are a lot of very specific tasks. And I think sometimes people don't really um, think about how much it takes to run this through your clinic. And I really talk about Think about the patient the day before they even show up. What's happening when the patient is in the parking lot? What's happening when the patient is in the waiting room and then the exam room? What happens when the PCP walks in? What happens with the screening tool? Who's entering what? So the, 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 the devil is in the details here and the minutia that is necessary to really do an effective implementation really requires the staff to sit down together and really go through this. So let's just think through this. And then you're gonna see an example with Dr. Thomas of how she did this. So what are those core tasks that all of us have to do if we wanna do integrated care? So the first piece of this, and I'm gonna talk about integrated care, behavioral health into primary care. How do you identify the patients that are appropriate for integrated care? And who's making the diagnosis? So we often talk about screening tools, the PHQ-9 for depression, the GAD-7 for anxiety, maybe the Vanderbilt for children with attention deficit disorder. That screening tool is given either on a portal before the person gets in on an iPad or a piece of paper in my pediatrician's office for my daughter. It was a laminated form chained to the wall that the kids filled out and they wiped off between patients. But who's gonna do that screening? Because this is how we have to find patients. In primary care, they don't always just walk in and say, hey doc, I'm depressed. They come in and say, I'm tired, my tummy aches, my back aches. I can't get up in the morning, all kinds of different things. So how are we gonna identify that, that patient? Who's gonna head out the screening tool? And then if that screening tool is positive, who's gonna to talk to that patient and see if there's a diagnosis that would be amenable to certain things like the collaborative care model of integration or someone needing brief therapy that's gonna be coded and billed. So there has to be a diagnosis and typically that's the PCP, but there could be a variety of different licensed folks that could do that. So how do you actually find the patients that are appropriate for integrated care? This is one of the second really important pieces and we're gonna talk a little bit about more about this in a minute is how do you engage the the person? How do you talk to the person about behavioral health in a primary care setting? They didn't come in for that. They came in for a diabetes check. Now you want to, you know, talk about depression. I'm not crazy. What do you mean, doc? And this is stigma and pushback can certainly happen. Well, the goal of, it, of the primary care provider in particular is now that I've identified you, I want to engage you in the integration in our office. So in this picture up to the right, I want to figure out how to get that patient willing to talk to the behavioral health provider in the red sweater and how does the PCP engage them? Once they're engaged, we wanna provide evidence-based treatment. What does that look like? Brief intervention, psychopharmacology. So we've started that treatment. Now 
we have to have some form of systematic follow-up. We got to know when and where and how to adjust the treatment. And then when they're good when they're, and they're ready to sort of come out of the integrated care program, how are we going to prevent them from relapsing back into it? Each one of these things is a very detailed piece of the workflow that we need to be thinking about. We need to figure out if, if integrated care isn't the right thing for them, then how are we going to coordinate and get them to a higher level of care, right? Because it, it, integrated care may not be the thing for them. They may, may have schizophrenia, be in a manic phase of bipolar, have complicated post-traumatic stress, things that just aren't necessarily going to work in the primary care clinic. Although I'll say, if we can do the common, less complex treat those conditions in primary care, believe me, you're going to have a lot more access to specialty behavioral health because I know how difficult that is right now. And then as we then begin to follow these patients, how do we review them? How do we make treatment adjustments? What does that look like? And then once we kind of get that done and we have all our data packed over to the right in our, um, in our registry, so that's kind of a, a look at the registry on the right, how do we take that data, roll it into the program, share it with the PCP, share it with the C-suite, share it with the community? How do we share it with the patient? You know, how do we kind of roll this data into our quality improvement program to really show that our integrated care is working? So you can see there are quite a few tasks here. And I want to say, as you're assigning tasks, the, mo the important thing is that you're pretty clear about who does what. And you will hear me probably say this a couple of times. It's not about uh, Sue Jones is responsible for transferring the PHQ-9 score into EPIC. It's about the medical assistant, the receptionist, the nurse, the primary care provider. It's really about the role and who's going to do it. So it's not based on a Person. You don't want integrated care to stop because someone gets sick, goes on maternity leave, goes on vacation. And it's like, well, we didn't enter the PHQ-9s because Sue went on vacation. It's like that all your MAs go on vacation because it's an MA role to enter this P these PHQ-9 scores into, into the, the electronic health record. So we need to be very clear when we're going through the workflow what um, what what role, there's person in it, but what role is going to be responsible for which of those pieces. So as we're kind of going through the treatment, there's a lot that happens, and this could be diabetes, hypertension, arthritis, COPD, doesn't matter what the condition is, but we, we go through the traditional stuff and our, our integrated care team is helping the PCP and the patient with all of these things. Are they adhering to the treatment plan. Have I reached the maximum dose of an antidepressant? Do I need to make a switch to another class? Do I need to call a psychiatrist to see whether or not, do I have access to a psychiatric um, consult, a consult to see if I should switch or augment or add or, or do something different? Or this patient only wants therapy. And this happens all the time in integrated OBGYN. Patients only want therapy, but they're not getting better. How do we start talking to them about medication? And then there has to be somebody who is 
actively repeating your measurement tool. We're not repeat screening. Sometimes people say we got to repeat screening. It's like, no, you screened once at the beginning. Now we actually need to measure progress. And if they're not getting better, have a conversation, get someone to help you be that decision support in your EHR, be that call a psychiatric consultant or do an e-consult out to the a psychiatric consultant. If you have them, you may even have them there in your office. If people aren't getting better, what did we miss? Is the diagnosis correct or not? Uh, maybe we need to, maybe this is a bipolar depression. We thought it was unipolar. And then is, can we really do this in this office or do we need to refer them? So these, these are the kinds of considerations that are going on in that course of treatment. And so they may require, you know, that we're in the workflow. Do I get a consultation if I need it? How long am I, when are we supposed to repeat the PHQ-9? Is it once a week, once a month, once a year? You know, when are we supposed to do this? So really kind of understanding those processes in the workflow. Medicine doesn't stand still and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash moving medicine. The role of the primary care provider, as I mentioned earlier, is to identify the patient's diagnose them if you're comfortable. If not, you can always refer them to your integrated care team to confirm or help you with the diagnosis. There needs to be, you know, a sufficient knowledge of psychopharmacology. If we're really, you know, trying to do integrated care and keep people from needing to be referred, you know, what is it, you know, what are your go-to medications and who, what are your go-to resources if you're not sure what to do next? The PCP needs to collaborate and consult with whoever that behavioral health provider is and with the psychiatric prescriber. So it's important that the PCP not say, I'm too busy to go grab the behavioral health provider. I really, you really need that person in there and you got to go get them. We call it warm handoffs. They can be electronic handoffs. Um, the PCP needs to be looking at the measurement tools. You wouldn't treat diabetes without frequently looking at the A1C or even graphing the A1C and talking to the patient about their A1C or their blood pressure. Same for depression and anxiety. We're at the point in the field where you wouldn't treat depression or anxiety or attention deficit disorder without looking at the measurement tools over time. And so if you look in there and it's like, wait a minute, this patient hasn't had a PHQ-9 in three months, there's something wrong, calling the MA or sitting with the patient and quickly doing that are gonna be important because you know the value of those tools in terms of driving care. So we need to just really kind of think about the, the, the roles of the primary care provider and then the behavioral health person is gonna whisk this patient away. You can go on and see a couple more patients and hopefully it should make your day a lot more efficient. Sometimes it feels like it's gonna slow you down, but it should make things a lot more efficient for you because once you do your piece, you can hand the person off. I always want to help PCPs. You got to kind of develop your pitch to patients because if you say, I think you have a mental illness and I've got a behavioral health, I got a therapist down the hall who can talk to you. Hang on just a minute. Um, a lot of patients are going to push back because of stigma, you know, a variety of other reasons. But the, one of the first things you'll hear is I don't need that doc. I'm fine. And so using words like we have a new way of providing health care at our clinic. 
I'm still going to be your eyes and ears. You're still going to come see me. I'm going to work on your medications, but I've got a behavioral care manager or a therapist who is a member of our team. That's those are the words, not a therapist down the hall, but a member of our team who can help you improve your day-to-day -day function. They're experts in this. They're better than I am. They're going to communicate back to me. They're going to be my eyes and ears and boots on the ground. And it's, so it's really important for you to work with him. I really, really, you know, think this is best for you. What do you think? I want to set up some time or, you know what? She's right in the nurse's station. Can I grab her and you meet her? So you're the primary care provider's pitch is worth its weight in gold. And you may stumble over it the first couple times. And Dr. Thomas may talk about that, but you'll get it. You just have to be persistent. I want to just kind of finish up with thinking about workflows. And Dr. Thomas is going to tell you specifically about hers. Our favorite is put a big old piece like the middle, big old piece of sticky paper on the wall, get some markers, get some um, little sticky notes and, and have at it. Start with the patient walking in the door, sitting in the parking lot or the day before, if you're going to push out a, a screen or a measurement tool through the patient portal, through my chart or something, and then put those sticky notes up there and mark so you can move the sticky notes around, which is the fun part of it. With COVID, we've actually been doing workflows on Jamboard. I don't know if any of you've ever used them. They're like sticky notes and you can actually move them around. Just a reminder with COVID, we've done a lot of virtual integrated care. So adjusting these workflows was something we spent a lot of time on um, in 2020. And from the provider being virtual to the behavioral health person being virtual, the psychiatrists, we're always virtual. We tend not to be in there. The patients at home or in the office, I mean, everyone's been virtual. So I want to say we stumbled at first because we weren't quite sure how to do it. We absolutely worked out virtual workflows. So with, with some of the stuff we've had around you know, COVID or even post-COVID, there is a way to do this virtually. So you don't have to always have that warm body behavioral health provider in your office. There are ways to work this out that are successful. Okay, thank you. I'm gonna turn this over to my colleague, Dr. Thomas, to give you a real world example. Take hey. it away. Thanks, Dr. Rainey. So um, I'm a family physician. I'm 11 years out of residency. I work for a community-based hospital in northern uh, Illinois in a more rural setting in Morris Hospital. And um, I've kind of been our uh, sort of grassroots champion of integrated care just by nature of the obstacle turning opportunity. You know, day after day in my office in primary care, you know, we were just meeting that wall of there's definitely behavioral health conditions. Um, you know, my own knowledge and comfort was only so far with what I received in training. And that's when, um, you know, behavioral health integration, when I started learning more about it and learning from colleagues like Dr. Rainey, it made sense to try implementing something that um, where we work, it's, it's just a really powerful tool for us to do even better uh, primary care to reach the patients where they're at. So um, if it's okay, I'm going to walk through um, a step-by-step. -step, so door to door from a patient walking in our clinic, how we pull this off, who our care team members are and um, how we make this happen. So our team got together and said, all right, we got to map this out. Like Dr. Rainey said, all of us had to sit down, define team roles, and then put it down on paper step-by-step, step, um, making sure that everybody is on the same page uh, with clear team roles uh, has been the most important thing as we've implemented collaborative care. So um, starting from the beginning, so the PHQ-9, as Dr. Rainey mentioned, 
it's such a powerful tool for not only screening, but also measurement-based treatment to target. Um, when I was taught how to do, you know, depression and anxiety treatment as a family doc, um, in my training, you know, we got uh, training on the psychopharmacology of medications, but we never did that measurement-based piece. So early in my career, we would do follow-up visits and I'd say, how are you doing? And the patient would be like, yeah, I'm feeling better. And we'd kind of go, okay, you know, I guess that's a win. But we didn't have that data, that objective uh, measurement to help us know we were on the right track. So that's been one of the biggest uh, practice transformation elements for me and in my health system is just getting very comfortable with using the PHQ-9. And it's now become something that is essential to us. We really look at it uh, uh, similar to a vital sign. Uh, Dr. Rainey used the blood pressure analogy. Um, your primary care doc is trained that if they walk in the room and they see a blood pressure that's elevated, you know, it's 140 over 90, their clinical brain is going to go, oh, that's, that's not good. That's something I need to adjust treatment for. The PHQ-9 is similar. We want patients to get used to taking that uh, screener and for us as clinicians to look at the score to help us really drive treatment so that if someone's not improving, we can adjust treatment quickly and get them better um, quickly. So patient walks in the door. Um, if they have not done a PHQ-9 screen within the past year, our receptionist will give them a paper copy of the PHQ-9. Um, so also this element was um, incorporating universal screening for depression. We weren't doing that previously. So collaborative care helped us also beef up our game with just depression screening. Um, when COVID hit, we had to switch to telemedicine. Um, our MAs switched to doing the PHQ-9 verbally. They would call the patient and get them ready in the Zoom room and they would run through the verbal PHQ-9 questions. So we even made it work in the, in the uh, quick flip to telemedicine world. So the medical assistant would then enter the PHQ-9 score into the EMR. And this was an important step for our primary care docs, for them to have buy-in when we say, hey, we're going to do this extra step and measure uh, depression uh, with a PHQ-9 screener you get some pushback of, well, that's going to take them more time and it's going to take them longer to get my patient ready to see me. So anything we can do to help uh, get the PCP ready, everything locked and loaded, uh, the MA can put in that numeric score. So with the PHQ-9, um, around 10 is where we're going to try to think of the patient that might be appropriate for collaborative care. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule. It does not replace clinician judgment. If you've got someone that scores an eight and you know that they could use a behavioral health care manager and some input from the site consultant, by all means, refer. But um, in identifying that appropriate patient, 10 is kind of a good moderate uh, depression score to kind of think of for who you're targeting for collaborative care. So then the PCP initiates their visit and it could be in person or um, a virtual visit. They'll have their discussion and um, go through the criteria of major depressive disorder or perhaps they're diagnosing generalized anxiety disorder, um, but they'll put in their assessment as they, as they always do as the primary care clinician. Then um, the elevator speech comes in that Dr. Rainey was mentioning. And this is my biggest training point for my PCPs when we implement collaborative care is uh, practicing so many times we do in our sessions, just a lot of uh, run-throughs and dress rehearsals of how are you gonna sell this to the patient? What are you gonna say to them to get them engaged? Um, so we really wanna emphasize that uh, this is one way that we can help address mental health conditions in our office. We're gonna bring in two new care team members, a care manager, she works with me, she's down the hall, her name's Christine, and she could come on in and meet you if you're interested in, in working this team-based approach. The other person we're gonna have on the care team is a consulting psychiatrist. And if we get stuck where we're not sure if you're not, you know, if you're getting better and if the medications are working, our site consultant can come in and talk with us as a team to give us treatment recommendations to help make sure that we're getting you better as quickly as possible. 
Um, we have some flyers with the little collaborative care triangle and handouts to say, okay, this is sort of the model we're following. And um, it's worked well to get patients engaged. And the feedback we get is a lot of patients love it. You know, um, they don't love sometimes where they feel like their providers are siloed, where they go see a therapist in usual care and the PCP doesn't know what's going on with their care treatment, or perhaps a mental health specialist starts a medication, then they come see their PCP and the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. So um, breaking down those silos and having everybody work together is a really effective and rewarding um, way to do behavioral health in primary care. So um, we do our pitch. We patient hopefully says, yes, that sounds great. I'd love to do collaborative care. If possible, we bring in our care manager into the, into the room and do that warm handoff, that warm connection. Um, it, it helps us uh, develop rapport with the patient when we say, hey, I can vouch for Christine. She's my care manager. I work closely with her. She's part of my care team in my office. Uh, you'll be in good hands. And I think that helps patients feel even more engaged and comfortable with the process. Um, so then I'll usually step out of the room and like Dr. Rainey was saying, it helps me get through my day. I can go on to my next patient and Christine, the care manager can um, follow up with patient. Okay, do you have any questions about collaborative care? When would you like to come see me, the care manager for a, a session? We can start doing some behavioral activation or some uh, problem solving therapy to address your depression. Uh, the care manager would then want to make sure to add the patient to the registry. So a registry um, can be um, a very simple, you know, spreadsheet, patient names with the PHQ-9 scores. Um, centers of excellence like the University of Washington Ames Center have registry programs that you can use. Um, that's how we do it at my site. We have been fortunate enough to partner with uh, AIM Center for some research studies. So we use the AIMS caseload tracker um, and it helps us keep really good track of the patients so that so hopefully people don't fall through the cracks because we know in primary care, if someone comes in for depression and then never follows up, um, the doc may not you know, have a way to, to think back and, and reach out to that person. So collaborative care is such a nice way to take that population uh, based view of your care panel and say, hey, I can, you know, make sure that some of these high needs, high risk folks um, are getting seen. So hopefully um, patient then leaves your office with feeling really great about collaborative care and you may have started a medication that day you might not have, uh, but the care manager is then gonna connect with that patient early. That early connection is really important for outcomes. So within one or two days, we're hoping to have a first session. And again, it could be an in-person session with the care manager, maybe a virtual. Um, and they can start doing those brief behavioral interventions um, and the care management where they might, you know, send a message to the primary. Oh, that Zoloft, you know, patient started, they had a side effect. What do you think? And then the care manager can reach back out with them for some reassurance and um, some coaching on how they can hopefully uh, stay compliant with their medications. Um, so the PHQ-9, this is another big culture shift that um, I know our site felt with doing collaborative care was the sequential PHQ-9 measurement. So thinking of it again as that vital sign that every time the patient would see me as a primary for med follow-up and every time the patient would see the care manager for a session, we're all doing a PHQ-9. So similar to the blood pressure, you know, we don't think twice about putting our arm out and getting a, a reading for a blood pressure visit. We really want to uh, shift that transformation and culture shift of, okay, we expect a PHQ-9 every time. And, you know, patients at first may have a little, why am I doing this again? I just did this last week with the care manager. But um, if we can, you know, explain to them like, hey, this is our way to objectively measure that we're doing good care for you and getting you better as quick as possible. Um, 
patients uh, really appreciate that we're taking that time and effort to be precise and objective in our care. Um, so getting used to that uh, is, is a little bit of a step, but um, now if I don't have it, if, if it gets missed and you know I go into the room and there's not a PHQ-9, I notice, I'm like, oh, it's like, where's the blood pressure? Where's the PHQ-9 score? So it becomes second nature pretty quick and it's, it's nice, it's pretty effective. Um, so from there, after the patient has their first session with the care manager, the care manager and the site consultant will then review that list of patients in their weekly scheduled consult hour. So in my clinic, Christine um, and our consulting psychiatrists meet on Thursday afternoons. They have their two o'clock time slot and every week they review the list of patients on their registry. They'll particularly highlight and discuss the new patients on the caseload or those that aren't improving. And how do we know who's not improving? Well, they have their PHQ-9 measurements. So um, it might be a, hey, this person's PHQ-9 score went up from a 12 when they were initially screened and enrolled in collaborative care to a 15 or a 20. What's going on with that person? Is there a new life stressor? Do we need to look at uh, medication adjustment? And it helps them really be very purposeful in, in um, caring for that population of patients. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So once they have their site consultant uh, time, the site consultant will make their treatment recommendations and put a very brief note into the EMR. And the care manager then passes the ball and notifies the PCP. So your care manager would say, you know, met with site consultant today. Um, she's recommending we increase sertraline from 25 to 50, recommend problem solving therapy. And so I'd receive that message as the primary care provider, and then I would prescribe those uh, medications. The care manager then wraps it all together and says, okay, you know, Dr. Thomas is increasing your sertraline. I'm going to do some problem solving therapy with you, and they'll do that in their session. And um, it helps us all be on the same page that there's one shared treatment plan um, and that there's treatment goals. You know, for depression, we really want to make sure that we're identifying treatment goals. If it's depression, perhaps the goal is okay, I can return to work, that my now the depression is getting better. Or with anxiety, it's um, something like maybe I can go to the grocery store or I previously hadn't with the anxiety. Uh, the care manager can be very helpful in. Um, you know, checking on medication compliance, but also then following up on those patient identified goals. And that's one of those cornerstone uh, properties of um, the collaborative care uh, model. And then for billing, um, the billing for the collaborative care codes uh, is billed under the PCP. So if my patient is receiving collaborative care, um, care manager Christine is going to be tracking her minutes. Um, so she'll have um, when she gets to, it's like 70 minutes for the first calendar month, she can drop a collaborative care code. So um, that's a way that the clinic can not only deliver integrated care, but then bill for those services. Um, and as far as payers and, you know, which states cover uh, Medicaid uh, covers the collaborative care codes, it's going to vary a bit by payer and by state. Um, but those codes are out there and it's um, definitely something to look into in your system um, for some financial sustainability to do this great work. 
So our key takeaways for integrated care implementation, um, we want to have our care teams define those key tasks and roles. As Dr. Rainey said, it's, you know, the MA does this or the PCP does this so that you can take that template and apply it to any primary care site where you're hoping to implement collaborative care. Um, and everyone needs to see that document, discuss it and digest it together so that everybody knows those clear team roles and what's expected of them and their, and their colleagues. Um, and have everyone participate in mapping it out. You know, maybe you do a lunch and learn and, you know, buy a pizza and everybody comes in and talks through it and we put up our, you know, jam board or our post-its and, and talk through it together. Um, and again, one of the big points I would say is identify that PCP champion. They're gonna be an important person um, to help other providers with uptake of collaborative care. You know, if they can say, yeah, I tried this integrated care model and it helps me get my notes done quicker at the end of the day. I have less charting at home or I feel less burnout because I have someone on my care team helping me with some of these complex behavioral health uh, issues. And I have a psychiatrist that can help me with the, the medication if I, you know, um, need some input for the challenging cases. It's a win-win, not only from the patient's uh, standpoint, but from the providers too. Um, and then meet with your team. You know, if you can sit down with the care managers, the site consultants, the PCPs, all of you, I know with COVID, it gets challenging, even a virtual sit down and talking through your workflow, because once you start doing this, you'll identify some areas of, you know, oh, we could tweak this or make this a little bit better. Or maybe we, you know, label this message with a different title so that everybody knows, um, you know, what we're, what we're looking for in the EMR. So those feedback sessions to evaluate your, your process are really valuable. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of our main takeaways. So Dr. Rainey, did you have anything, anything else? I was just going to add, if you don't have a care manager still on the workflow, Dr. Thomas showed earlier, you know, even all the way to that point of measurement-based care is to have in your office a plan for, okay, well, I'm just going to repeat the PHQ-9 once a month, every visit, and I'm going to put that into the work plan so that the PCP is not having to do all that themselves. Even if I don't have all these other components, that is something you can can do like, again, measuring diabetes and hypertension, where you can have a way, an evidence-based way to track behavioral health conditions in your practice. So that would be another takeaway. If you don't have all of this, what was, who would the key roles and tasks be for the folks that would uh, provide, you know, get that, those scores done so that you know what to do next? I also want to point out some resources for designing workflow. There's a nice uh, link on the American and Psychiatric Association website if you go to the Practice and Billing Toolkit and also University of Washington Ames Center has a really nice workflow checklist where you check the items and you put the role, the, the name in, the role in so that you know exactly what's going to happen step by step. Okay, thank you. You just heard from Drs. Lori Ranney and Jennifer Thomas about their experiences integrating behavioral health care into their practices. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. You can subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.